Dr. Derek Padilla is a science teacher turned tech company founder. He and his wife founded Halo Audio, a private audio distribution platform. In this episode, Derek speaks on his journey into entrepreneurship, starting out with teaching and shifting towards founding his tech company. Stick around to the end to hear about how Derek used house sitting to travel the world without spending any money on accommodation. I started actually as a business major and I failed out of business and switched to physics. So that's like an interesting transition from a major into another one. And I say failed out. I went to San Diego State, which is a business, popular business school, uh, a lot of business majors to the point where it's impacted and you have to have a certain GPA. And I went in, you know, I'm the typical gifted student who didn't try hard and hit college. and was like, oh no, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Never did any work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So come college, I had to do work and I didn't, I wasn't good at it. And so my GPA was not good first year um, to the point where I couldn't stay in the business major. So I had to find a new major that didn't have a GPA requirement. And I looked around at what I just enjoyed doing. And I always liked physics. I liked it in high school a lot. took AP physics. Um, and decided to switch to a physics major about, I think I was a year and a half into college when I started taking those classes. And yeah, I was the Van Wilder. I took, I think, six years of undergrad to finish my first degree in a physics major. And then, yeah, that, that's what started it was I needed a new major basically. (laughs) And I just liked physics. So I just decided to go with what I enjoyed rather than what I thought would be a good career path. I had no idea what a career in physics was at that time. I yeah. just knew I liked physics. And so. then and then moving, you know, f- through that you went on to do a PhD in physics as well. Yes. Yeah, I did actually a masters, which is a little uncommon. At the end of my undergrad, I was again looking around, what do I want to do with this physics degree now that I have it, a bachelor's undergrad degree in physics. And I actually toyed with the idea of going to law school and do uh, patent law, which is a popular path for science people and studied for the test. And then halfway through, basically, this is a theme where I just changed my mind in the middle of something um, and decided, no, I do want to stick with more physics schooling and uh, stuck around at the same school as my undergrad to get a master's. And then and then I went on to a PhD. Most physics people go straight undergrad to PhD. Master's is kind of something you get on the way to the PhD automatically, semi-automatically. So um but I did a master's complete degree, two-year program, and then I went into a PhD program after that. So everything's been physics. Got a PhD in physics. Um, I met my wife as an undergrad, and she had always wanted to be a teacher. High school, she started high school teaching, and then decided she wanted to teach um, at a community college, which is like our two-year right out of high school, uh, the intro courses for college here in the United States. And so she got a master's in her program in her uh, her field to begin teaching at a community college. And so we started, we lived together after we got married and she was teaching part-time at a few different community colleges in uh, sociology. And I was still studying physics doing my PhD. She was also doing a doctoral program in education at the time, but she was teaching. Yeah. Um, so it was like a part-time doctoral program, part-time teaching job. And I saw that job, that career path as a teacher at a community college in particular. And I was like, that sounds great. I really enjoyed teaching in grad school yeah. as a you know teaching assistant and running the lab classes for the intro physics program. Um, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. And I felt like it was a good calling. That's something I, I really latched onto and felt very comfortable doing. And I said, I could do that. I, I want to do that. And so our degree program, our lab 
in particular um, was very structured in a way that the our advisor wanted you to get a job straight out of grad school, as most advisors do. I mean, that's a good thing, though. For, it looks good <laughs> for them, and it's it's great for you because you know yeah. coming straight out of a position where you're making next to nothing into a fairly decent paying job comparatively is a good thing, right. you know? Yeah, and uh, it seems obvious, but not every program is like that. In particular, um, like a theoretical physicist. After you get a PhD, you have to go on to do a postdoc, and then you have to spend some time as a, you know an underpaid doing uh, research assistant professor. Yeah, exactly. But it's a much longer career path, much more school um, research work, and it's cutthroat. Like horrible, horrible odds of actually landing a tenure track job in a, as a theoretical physicist at a university. Our program, our research lab, was applied physics, so it was like material science stuff that you could build processors out of silicon our particular research was solar cells so very applied very um overlapping with engineering yeah so the people came out of our program with phds in physics but they went on to jobs in engineering companies and hardware companies um that kind of work okay and so our advisor really encouraged everyone to at least towards the end of their phd get into um an internship with some companies start getting work experience, not just academia the whole way. So she really pushed people to get careers started in industry. And so my apprenticeship was uh, my internship. I told her I wanted to teach community college. She said, great for you, go teach right now. And yeah. do a part-time side. college yeah. instructor. Yeah. So that's what she let me do, which is fantastic. And yeah, finished my PhD and landed a tenure track teaching job at a community college. That was a great school. I loved it. And taught there for four years, three and a half years, full-time. And my wife was also teaching full-time community college at that time. And she started uh, one of those awful <laughs> pyramid scheme MLM things. Oh, nice. But it's not awful. She started I, I, her own one? Because if she started no, her no, own no. one, she's at the top of the... <laughs> oh, okay, she joined no, one. No, <laughs> she joined one. Yeah, yeah, I started doing that, getting into that. Uh, and, you know, I know it's awful. I, most of them are really bad. But... Um, it was a really good experience for her and for our house, like just a couple thousand bucks a month makes a big difference when you're two teachers full time. Oh, she was making money out of this. Yes. She, she did it pretty well. And, um, Weird. yeah, what, what exactly <laughs> what happened was, um, she, you know, it was a fitness one, you know, something with, you know, shakes, powdered shake things. And she realized that people in this space are teaching a lot but they don't know how to teach. And they're, exactly. they're trying to teach people to do stuff, whatever it is, you know, how to sell shakes. <laughs> people teach people how to do that. Um, and she was fine at it. And she was, you know, making okay money just on the side without a whole lot of effort. But then she started talking to people about teaching techniques in that space. And they're like, why isn't that your business? Stop selling shakes. Sell your knowledge on education because people need help teaching in this space. So she started it. She started a business as a uh, education consultant, building courses for people. That's a good career path. Yeah, yeah. And she was a, still a full-time teacher, as was I. And um, I wasn't doing much in the business. I would maybe help her with some like online tech stuff. She's pretty tech savvy, but sometimes I would come in and help her set something up, some automation or something. But um, she was approached by a client who was willing to pay our or her particular annual salary in a month. And so just like, wow, 
there's a lot of dollars to be made for people because they know that they can get a good quality education teaching product and they know how to sell it. So they're comfortable paying five figures, multiple five figures to, uh, to hire a consultant to build the best possible education experience for her students, for those people. Well, what they're paying you for isn't for the, you know, the course. They're paying you for all those years you've spent exactly. condensing them down into a week or a couple hours. Right. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's what most people don't realize is why certain mm-hmm. consultants and certain people get paid so much. It's because of they've spent a lot of time unpaid or you know very poorly right. paid. And that's what you're paying for. That's where the premium or, comes in. Yeah. <laughs> or you're paying for them having paid for the, the education. So yeah, we got our student loans and we got to pay those off. So yeah, exactly. making, and making money on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I don't. With the with physics, with science, you don't typically take out student loans. You usually get paid a, you know, a small stipend to actually be an, an employee of the, the PhD program. But yeah, we, we had student loans to pay off. But yeah, like you're saying, they're paying us for the years of our knowledge that we spent in education, in learning environments, and then also working as a teacher, as an educator, and particularly online. She was always very um, uh, pro online class stuff, even back then before, you know, everything happened this past year, but gained a lot of experience. And that's exactly what people were selling were online courses, digital products that are like educational. So you, you were kind of you were in community college. Your wife is raking mm-hmm. in the big, big bank doing the teaching <laughs> stuff. Yeah. When did you decide to start Hello Audio? When, like, was that mm-hmm. was it back to back with the with the community college stuff? It was a maybe a couple years of doing online teaching and teaching people how to teach. So I should say we left our teaching jobs because this now was paying ourselves enough, and we were like, this is so much freedom. And we sold our house and traveled as uh, house sitters where we just hopped around to different houses to take care of pets as people left town or whatever. And so that we didn't have an address for a while and we just lived off traveling, which was great. And then we could work from wherever. It was hard, but we did it. Hello Audio came from us recommending people to give mp3 versions of video lectures and, and they would live on a website and a student could click and download the mp3. It's a terrible experience. Nobody knows where the MP3s end up on your phone. If you do that, um, if it's on your computer, they're all mislabeled. The file names are not in the correct order. Um, So yeah, we wanted people to have the option to listen to a lecture. We also wanted people to have transcriptions for other people to read the lecture. Um, But most of it was video centric. And we're looking around for a better solution for the audio aspect of courses. And there wasn't one. There's no simple way to just deliver audio except podcasts already do that perfectly. There's apps on phones ready to go to listen to a stream of episodes in order. So why not make lessons episodes? And so we sold it initially as podcast your course. And we had, you know, a big sale about that, which was, I spent the time researching, is this even possible? Like, is it possible to put a private, you know, paywalled expensive course in a podcast feed and not have it end up on Apple's search results or Google? I didn't really know. I knew that private podcasts existed because of things like Patreon, but I, I wasn't really sure how private private was, if it was enough private for you know a very expensive program. And I came to the conclusion that it was. I did. We did it with our own course back in 2018. We put our course on a podcast and gave it to our students and I tested it. I'm like, if our course leaks, I want to know it. And I've been searching. It still hasn't come up in any search directories with the thousands or so students that have gone through that program who had access to that podcast. It hasn't leaked. So that made me feel confident enough that we could sell this. And I learned how to, (laughs) you're going to laugh as a podcaster. 
I would um, take MP3s that somebody would upload to Google Drive. I would put it in an S3 bucket and I would manually type out the RSS file, the XML file, yeah. linking to the file names in S3. And I just hosted the podcast feed that way. I didn't use Libsyn. I didn't use, you know, Transistor, whatever. You're doing a lot of extra parts for yourself. <laughs> what made you go that way? I knew how to do it. I knew it worked. Um, I toyed so i'm not a developer but i'm techy enough that like i could write an xml file um but i didn't i looked for automated ways to do it there's a couple open source options that i found um but not, nothing was as fast as me literally just having two windows open and quickly copy pasting stuff i built in a pretty good organizer spreadsheet that people would when they bought podcast your course they would fill out the lesson title the show notes, things like that. And then I would take that spreadsheet and then map it to an XML file. And just, I could, I could make them pretty fast. The problem is it's done by me manually and it's static. And so someone wants to make changes, they have to contact me and, and make fixes. Obviously it's not a good long-term solution, but that's what we sold. We just wanted to test the waters to see like, is this even a viable product that people will pay for? And the answer was yes. And so we sold, um, we called them lifetime licenses. I mean, I don't know why I said we called them. They are lifetime licenses. People paid us once and they would have whatever version of the product, whatever it turns into, they would have that for life. So we told them they're funding the development of um, an early startup. Just, you know, we're testing the waters with this very alpha version, manual processing. It seems like you and your wife have a very kind of, how can I put it? Forward thinking business mind mm -hmm. collectively yeah. between the two of you. Yeah. Because only in the last two, three years have I seen people start offering these lifetime memberships. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's great for when you're like, right, there's zero money coming in right now. We need some money to come in. Sure, we're going to have to, you know, technically lose some money on these people because we won't have the recurring revenue. But for right now, mm -hmm. this is going to help us build to a point where we can go from 100 people to 1,000, 10,000. Do you see what I right. mean? So I'm yeah. I'm really kind of impressed by this. And just <laughs> out of curiosity, what's the timeline on, on when you started Hello Audio? Was it two years ago, three uh, years ago? It was 2019. August 2019 was the first Facebook post. I just went back actually to see what actually happened on that post. It was, I think, 700 comments my wife got. I mean, she had a following on Facebook already. And the, the call to action was drop a microphone emoji if you're interested. And then she would privately message those people and say, here's what's happening. We didn't have a sales page. You know, it was all through just talking to people one-on-one. -on -one and um, collecting money. I think we sold them for like 250 bucks. Which is, mm -hmm. assuming comparatively now, very cheap compared to yep. what you would be charging. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we, and we didn't know where it was gonna go. We didn't know what would happen. You know, that was, we were charging like per feed. Mm. So somebody could have a course and that would be 250 bucks. So I, I, I might be getting the numbers wrong. It might be a hundred bucks. And then we charged for five feeds, 300 bucks or something like that. I forget what we did. We did packages. And we kind of accidentally did it exactly the way you're supposed to in tech because I, since I can't build it myself, my wife is not a developer either, we knew we would have to hire a developer to build the thing. A lot of times in tech, uh, we're learning now that people start from being developers and having an idea and they spend months of their own time building this ex, you know, extravagantly complex piece of software and go to sell it after that but then they got it totally wrong because they didn't talk to people on the way. It came from one person's brain and they thought they knew what people wanted because they built it maybe for themselves, which, you know, to an extent we did for ourselves also. But um, but they they spend too much time building out the thing. 
before actually seeing people touch it and see what what hiccups they hit and and realize what really needs to go in the product to make it sellable. So you guys had basically this minimum viable product and to the list, exactly. you know, we might say the word mm-hmm. MVP quite a lot of times. We don't mean most valuable player. We mean minimal viable product. So you yep. had that. And mm-hmm. from there, that started out as just, you know, one feed or a couple feeds, selling courses and all that kind of right. stuff. Right. What was the next steps once you kind of sold those lifetime memberships? What what happened next? You hired developers and... Yeah. So it was a few stumbling blocks along the way, but we ended up with a fantastic, amazing developer who uh, is not cheap, but he had been in, he had launched six products. If you go on, on their LinkedIn, their little tagline, they said, I take things to prod is all it says. And that's all they do. They're just like, they come in as the hired gun in the startup phase to get it to the point where it's now available to be used by users and sold. That's the kind of people you want, man. No nonsense, yeah. just simple. Yep. Exactly. And yeah, they were fantastic. They they recognized immediately that me and Lindsay were first-time founders, which takes a special skill for a developer to work with because we don't know the language. We don't know exactly how to communicate the ideas in our heads, the things our users are doing. Um, or would potentially be doing. So yeah, they really taught us how to manage developers and they were just super patient. Yeah, they're very cerebral people. They're very, they, yeah. you have to explain yeah. things very literally or else you're going to end up with the wrong type of thing. Right, yeah. And so I would say if anyone has, you know, so many people have ideas, they're like, oh, I have this idea for this thing. I, I just need to build it. You know, the answer is go find a developer if you're not a developer. But I would ask the question, of the developer. Are you comfortable with first-time founders or do you have experience with first-time founders? Because that really sets the precedent, the tone, the like expectations on both sides of that relationship. Because yeah, one of our stumbling blocks was a developer who was excited to build it, but we weren't experienced enough to manage the dev and it didn't end up where we wanted and we had to break off with them. And so luckily we found this great developer who understood totally what quote unquote went wrong and how to not make that go wrong with them. And so for, yeah. for some of the listeners who might be developing their own type of product or their own type of SaaS mm-hmm. experience, where do you find your developers? Like what is your, your search kind of? This was a connection. So we tried to go the Upwork route. And we interviewed a few developers. We came close to hiring one from Upwork. The one that didn't go quite right was a friend of a friend who it it could have gone well. It was probably on us as, you know, a miscommunication in lots of parts. Uh, That was a friend of a friend. And uh, the one that we found that ended up being fantastic was a recommendation from a program my wife joined, which is for very, very early stage startup tech startups. And so she was in this program and the person who ran the program dropped this person's contact info saying, Hey, this is a great developer. Anyone who snags them is going to be super lucky. They just ended another project. So they're looking for work. Here's, here's their info. Yeah. Perfect storm. Yeah. We sat on it for one day. Then Lindsay messaged them on LinkedIn. Uh, He came back saying, that they had started another project. Sorry. And we're like, no, we just missed him by like a day. Somebody snatched him up that quick. And so um, apparently that project was short because a couple months later, he messaged Lindsay again saying, hey, I'm still available. You know, we just wrapped up that project. Are you guys still looking for for uh, a developer? And that was literally, I think, the day we broke up, quote unquote, with the other developer. And so it was just like literally perfect timing. Uh, one person leaving, the other person coming in. And they had, you know, by the end of that week, they were already up and running with our our new S3 account and buckets and all that stuff, just taking it and running with it. So yeah, that that lucked out. We lucked out a lot finding finding this developer. So you found the developer, you got your product. Mm-hmm. 
Now, obviously, the product that existed back then is not the same product that exists now. But mm-hmm. is Hello Audio your like whole full time thing now? Yeah, it's our full time. Like my day in and day out work is this product, Hello Audio. We still have uh, Lindsay's personal brand. My wife is named Lindsay. Uh, her personal brand is still running. It's kind of passive. We used to even run ads, but we just turned those off. It's like we get a trickle in of a sale of a product of ours, and it's it's no time commitment for us. It's all just like passive pre-recorded stuff sitting there waiting for people if they want it. Um, we don't promote it, but it's still there. So that business is still alive, but it doesn't make us money. We pay ourselves through this Hello Audio startup now. Um, yeah. And so I guess with that kind of uh, view to recorded audio and, um, mm-hmm. you know, you being a founder of a, of an audio tech company, Mm-hmm. you've naturally delved into podcasting and yeah. I must say I've listened to two episodes of your podcast but the one that struck out to me the most was the um the Fortnite jump ship one <laughs> yeah so I'm just I'm just wondering like what makes you want to try break down these very <laughs> niche or random topics down into yeah. the, the fine sciences that they are because it's, <laughs> it's interesting I was like this is really interesting I was like I wish I had more time to listen to the whole thing before I spoke to this guy yeah, it's um, it came from me teaching at the community college. Uh, my co-host Zach was the lab tech of the courses I was teaching, so Zach would set up the equipment for the students, that kind of thing. And lab courses are long, hours wise, three hours long. Um, students are kind of busy. You know, I I do the initial teaching of here's what you're going to do, and then I let the students go and do it. So there's kind of some downtime as a teacher during lab. Me and Zach would be in the classroom just riffing on stuff and being like, oh, did you know about this thing? This is a cool physics topic. And we would like work out puzzles on the chalkboard and students would be doing their thing and we would get absorbed in our little side conversation. And um, as just before I left teaching, I told Zach, I'm like, we need to bottle this. We should start a podcast and record these little riffs that we go into of just weird topics exactly like that, like Fortnite, thinking about the principle least action of the like physics of falling in, in a game. Uh, I think we talked about in the game in the in the episode. Zach played uh, PUBG, so he had a different different experience. I was playing Fortnite at the time, so yeah, it was an interesting tie-in to like thinking about. I don't, I don't even know where it first came up. Maybe we recorded the first time I asked Zach that question in the episode, but we both like as physicists just latched on to knowing exactly what the problem is. It's like, oh, this is the same thing that we do when we talk about light traveling through glass or prism or something. It's the principle of least action. Like how, how does light know to bend when it hits glass or plastic or something like that? And it's because of the time it takes to travel through the stuff. So anyway, uh, when we talked about like, oh, there's the plane, there's the jumping and then the fall and then the parachute, those are like different speeds quote unquote, like different mediums. Like you can think of like opening the parachute is the same as when light hits glass. It's the same thing in that it's a a change in speed. It used to go one speed. Now it's a different one. So we're like, let's attack the problem. Like we know how to do in physics. So that's, yeah, I don't, I think I brought it up to Zach, but I think we both kind of were like, you know, when you jump out of the plane at the beginning of the battle royale games and the speed changes, like what's the best way to get to your target? Just starting with that kind of open-ended question leads to some interesting parallels with physics. So yeah, that was a fun one. There's one that's great. That's um, does your, I forget what we called it, but like, does your phone weigh more when it has storage or something like that? Like does data have mass basically? I've, but like, yeah, That one's there already. <laughs> I thought that and I thought he's on the same wavelength as me. Cause I'm like, if my <laughs> phone is charged. Yeah. It's full of more stuff. So I thought right. data is stuff. Yeah. That, um, 
that show, that, that podcast started off with like, let's ask stupid questions and get into the physics of like very simple things. Like what happens if you fell, I forget the first episode, like falling from a spaceship in a water planet or something like that, starting with dumb questions like that. And then it turned into, I actually want to research topics and present them as though I'm like teaching Zach or Zach wants to research a topic and present it to me. So we have this kind of like split episode where we have the like fun, stupid question episodes, but then we also have the like, okay, let's go into deep dives on like, yeah, particle physics and like quarks. And like, I wanted to read about the stuff that I didn't necessarily study in my graduate work or Zach hasn't learned in his physics studies. Um, we can learn about them separately. And then like the other person plays the, the, the person that's being taught for the first time and gets to ask questions um, about the topic from the other person teaching it. So we have kind of this like trade-off of different types of episodes. I was going to say, is there ever certain times where say Zach will come with a topic and instantly you're like, oh, actually I know a lot more about this topic. And then you kind of end up <laughs> schooling him on this or is it, are you guys kind of equally yoked? No, it hasn't happened where like, I know everything and Zach brings a topic. I'm like, no, 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 I got this. I'll cover it. No, it's, it's always been a new thing for one of us at least. Okay. Um, and we try and pick topics that like neither of us know, like, yeah, I might've studied and I talk about in some of the the more recent episodes where we get into a stretch of thermodynamics topics and stat mech. Um, I study that stuff and I talk about what it was like to study it, but I'm like, I got to go back and like relearn the details to put in this podcast episode. Like, yeah, I can do some stuff back of the napkin calculations if I needed to, but like, did I really get it when I was learning it for the first time? Not really. So it was fun to, to go back and relearn this stuff that maybe I missed some details and got to talk about it on the show. Okay. And so yeah. going, like going forward where you're at now, so you've got hello audio, things are mm -hmm. going good, you know, I can only get better type thing. You've yeah. got your podcast, you've got all these other kind of content businesses behind it where you're teaching physics mm -hmm. and, and all this kind of uh, other educational content. Where do you find the time to kind of expand your physics knowledge? Because I'm sure there's things out there at the moment that are still kind of like really kind of interesting to you. So, you know, to go for mm -hmm. the low hanging fruit, things like Tesla and all the kind of LIDAR, <laughs> radar technology around all that. Do, you, do yeah. you still kind of like get in the nitty gritty of reading journals, all that kind of stuff? Not about that in particular. Most of the research I do is not cutting edge, like I go to journals to read it. It's more, I go find the best textbook on the topic and I look at like, you know, well-established theories. Like right now I'm in re in the middle of research, uh, studying black holes, something I never studied in grad school. So I was like, I, I want to dig into like what's actually going on there. I have a collection of textbooks on my iPad that I read and highlight and take notes on. So that's, that's generally how I do the research. For papers, uh, we actually just did something new where we interviewed a scientist, a, a physics professor who um, did a project about acoustic levitation. So that's a little sneak peek for people listening is that's an episode coming out where we interviewed the the physics professor who uh, worked with a, a research student that was studying this phenomenon. And we talked about the paper they published. And we it was literally just had their paper up. I had taken notes on it. Zach had taken notes on it. And we got to talk to the, the person who wrote the paper. On acoustic levitation. Yeah. It's like uh, put a little speaker, point it up, and yeah. then put some styrofoam balls. And you can you can set up the sound wave so that the little styrofoam balls stay in place above the speaker. And this would be with a low, low frequency. It wouldn't be audible, really, would it? Uh, high frequency. It's like oh. supersonic, like way past uh. anything we could hear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not low, but high. And right. um, it was, he said it was really loud, but you couldn't hear it, meaning they had to wear headphones and ear protection 
because the, the sound pressure waves were so intense, but you don't, you don't hear it. Your brain doesn't pick it up as sound, but you could still damage your eardrums just from the intensity of it. What's the whole use case for it? <laughs> it was actually the whole point. It was actually uh, to prove people wrong who were publishing papers on this. And, and basically like if you look up acoustic levitation in like uh, some pop science magazine or website, they explain it incorrectly. And so they wanted to set the record straight and they did a whole bunch of different experiments showing that these explanations are wrong. It's actually the opposite of what they're saying and uh, work through the math, the theory behind it of like how it should work. And so, yeah, it was, it was a fun project for this professor and their student who he explained it as the, um, the pandemic hit and the student had just maybe had a couple months more of work to finish it and the school shut down. And so what the, uh, the student was an international student. So they were granted the, the option to stay in the dorms for the school. And he did all by himself, no one around. And he would go in and he broke down the experiment from the classroom, the the lab that they were working in, broke it down, rebuilt it in his dorm room and finished the experiment on his own during the pandemic. And it's it's like the the myth of Isaac Newton during the plague going in isolation and coming out inventing calculus and all the mechanics we know now. <laughs> this student got to do the same thing with acoustic levitation, be isolated during a pandemic and work through some physics and get a paper published out of it. Doesn't that kind of go into like Nikola Tesla's research on vibrations and all that kind of stuff with what they're kind of delving into? I guess in a sense, they're both using waves, but uh, very different electromagnetic waves with Tesla versus acoustic waves in this case. And this is the first um, time that this type of thing has been done. This is like a groundbreaking thing, the acoustic waves levitation thing. No, it's not. It's uh, it's funny that the professor said that they had done research and published entire tomes of papers on the theoretical background of how it works in the 30s was when it first came about. And uh, from that, people have built more and more like off the shelf versions. And actually you can go buy a little kit, I think from the University of Manchester, I wanna say. Uh, you, they sell kits that are like 3D printed with speakers that you wire up, you know, you have to solder a little bit of wires, but you can buy it for like a hundred bucks and it just comes shipped to your house and you can build it and you can put little pieces of foam and it'll do it. It's not the dangerous sound levels. They have a little bit of a different setup than what these guys did in the paper. Yeah, But um, it's yeah, it's come stuff. from the thirties, yeah. And so, yeah, this paper was really about fixing the misunderstandings that get published and passed around. They wanted to like definitively say, this is not how it works. Everyone is saying incorrectly, this is how it works. It's actually this. And here's why. So that's what this paper was. It was, a, it was like a cleanup paper. Like let's correct the story once and for all. Right. And so I feel like that, that kind of end statement you had there, obviously it's not the end of what we're talking about, but that, that last bit you said is like, it almost encapsulates your own life. You started off in business. You went into physics, you taught about physics, and then coming full circle, you own an audio company that you do the business part for, and mm -hmm. your physics stuff is kind of still flitting and floating around. So like, yeah. I, I mean, I've never really asked anyone else on this podcast this question, but like, do you enjoy what you do? Are you happy with how <laughs> how your life is at the moment? Like, is you've basically created yes. your own job twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's It's incredibly, like... I loved teaching. I loved the classroom. I would teach for free. I got paid to answer emails and go to meetings, but I would teach for free. I would love the classroom. Uh, I did, you know, grading papers is a little half and half there. <laughs> Leaving teaching and starting an online business with my wife just, and we sold our house, sold everything, just traveled. That was amazing. I love that. 
I, I think travel is a, a constant in my life. Thankfully, I'm lucky to have that experience where I can point to fantastic trips that we've gone on. And I think it's made that more possible having not having a full-time job. That's like a jobby job. Yeah, like yeah. I don't work for somebody. I do it for myself and we work obviously with a, a tech startup. We could do it from anywhere. We're in San Diego right now. And I think I mentioned in my message to you, we're moving to Atlanta yeah. to do a, a startup. And it's just, it's easy enough for me and my wife to pick up and leave and just, just go over there. You know, we don't have kids, we have a dog, but we're flexible enough that we can do that. Yeah. And I, I really like that lifestyle of the ability to just pick up and go. When you were traveling, where was the first place mm -hmm. you went to and why? Like, what was the whole like draw? <laughs> like, did you go to Mexico? So, did you go to Iceland? We did. Uh, we went to Mexico. We didn't go to Iceland. We went to London. We went to uh, Belgium. But the first place, so house sitting as like a gig. As a service, it's all yeah. It's all about referrals and like references. And so you need to have, the first one's the hardest to get. So the first one we did, we lived in Northern California and we came to San Diego for Christmas to see my family. And we decided to try and get our first house sit on that trip. And we didn't need to, we had our house still, um, but we knew we wanted to get into that game and we knew we needed to build a Rolodex of references that we could point to. So we told the person that we're like, Hey, we're coming in town for Christmas. And if you want to get into house sitting, that's a tip start on the holidays because a lot of people are leaving and there's not a lot of people willing to come in to watch pets over the holidays because they have their own holidays to do. Roll back a few steps. Where do we find these people? How can I get myself oh. in the mansion for the weekend, Derek? <laughs> Tell us the secrets. Uh, <laughs> Trustedhousesitters.com is like the big mega site. That's It's actually really popular in the UK and Australia and then also in the US. Trustedhousesitters.com is the big one. I think it's a hundred bucks a year to join this site and you build, it's like a dating profile. Like you put up a, a, a profile about who you are. What you do. Um, what you do. And then you can find other people that if I wanted somebody to come to my house and watch my dog while I go on a trip, yeah, uh, you can put your house up and say, here's the days, here's where we are. And you message them and say, Hey, I'm interested. Check out my profile. And then they do that. And then you get reviewed from the people that you have sat for on that site. So they'll see references and it's all verified. Everything's very trust based. Right. Obviously it has to be, but so that's the big one. Trusted house sitters. Now the other tip, so that's, worldwide. The other tip is to go, if you want to go to Mexico, there's a, Me like just search Mexican, Mexico house sitting. Yeah. And there's a specific Mexico house sitting website. Right. And might just be called house at Mexico. I forget, but there's, you know, regional databases of people who connect house sitters with people who want their house sat. Um, so yeah, the first one was trusted house sitters. We found one in San Diego over the holidays and we're like, let's do it easy enough. We're coming in for the holidays. We would have gotten a hotel anyway, so let's just stay at this person's house and watch their dog. They gave us a review, and then that kickstarted it because then we started getting more. I think we did own actually locally. We found another one near our house when we were back home, and just to build, get another review, we, it was literally blocks from our house. We would just walk there and take care of their cat while they were gone. I think our first like cool, like wow, this is an amazing life is we went to Malibu. Oh, right. And we house sat somebody that had a beautiful house right above Zuma Beach. And that was really cool. They had three dogs that we watched. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking, do you ever get to stay in some like baller houses, like some really <laughs> nice houses because of this? And yeah. I assume that's the type of people that actually sign up to these websites and kind of people on the middle to higher end of that spectrum as well. Yeah, the best one. Well, Belgium was a, an amazing house. The guy had an Aston Martin. I don't know the number DB seven, maybe, and a really nice car in the driveway. I'm not a car and... man. I just I have a piece of crap car. Like if it drives, okay. it drives. Like that's all I care about. That house. That house felt like a bond. 
like James Bond would live there. Like yeah. it was cool. That yeah. was a really cool house. And it was snowing. It was in the winter in Belgium and it was really, really beautiful. Wow. Um, so that was a nice house. But the best house, it, my favorite, was in Mexico. It was in a town called Sayulita, which is like a, a small-ish town outside of Puerto Vallarta. The guy is uh, Canadian. He built a, a three-unit rental property on the beach in Mexico. And it was the off-season and he goes back to Canada because it's just generally humid there. And so not a lot of people coming in. Since there was three units, he kept renting out the other ones and we would just live in one of them. And so whatever one he rented, we might have to move to the next one, but that's fine. So we were like property managers, like dealing with uh, people renting out the units. And so we'd have to welcome them, show them around. Um, I had to like mow the lawn and and clean the pool, that kind of thing. But it was that was an amazing beach house in Mexico in a really cool town. And we were there for three months, their off season. So and this loved is it. this is for what well, for free. So you've paid a hundred dollars to be on this website, but you get to stay yeah. there for free. Apart from doing you know small things like cleaning up and all that kind of stuff and yeah. maintenance. Exactly. It's I saw it as a fair trade of exchange a roof over our head for us caring for their pets and their house. And so that that was the trade off. I think you could make an argument either way. I think maybe it's more common that maybe we should have been paid a little bit, but I always saw it as like we don't have rent, we don't have a house, we don't have a mortgage, and we're just getting to stay in this cool place. So we tried to find places we liked. We stayed in like suburban Atlanta, which was actually kind of fine. It was cool, but we tried to go to cool places that we actually wanted to visit. Yeah, no, that seems like a, a good little travel tip slash travel. Yeah, hack. yeah. There's a lot of like retirees who have been doing it for 20 years um, since you know since they were 65, and they just that's how they live full time. And we did it full time. It was about a year. And it got, I'll tell you what ended it for us. Our uh, house sit that was coming up next fell through because the the person got injured. And so they had to cancel their trip. So we didn't have a place to live. And we're like, ah, we have to scramble. And, and yeah, we were used to like having to fill like one or two day gaps because not every house sit lines up perfectly with the one before. So we had to get a hotel for a couple of days. But that one was like, oh no, what are we doing? I'm really sick of like researching this stuff. And it was, it was like, Lindsay worked. She was the face of the business. I would do some backend tech stuff, but really my job was the house sitting roles and like lining them up, talking to people, coordinating, setting up travel for us to get to and from those places. And after a while you're like, you know what? The logistics of this is not as great as just yeah. me having like, I know this is my place. I pay, I pay <laughs> the bills here. This is, this is where I'm at right now. I told, yeah, I told Lindsay, I looked at my phone. I'm like, I'm so sick of Googling restaurants around us. I just want to like stay somewhere and like know what's around me and be familiar with it. Like it's cool for a while, but yeah, 10 months in, nine months in, you're, you're sick of looking up, you know, restaurant reviews to make sure it's a good place to get dinner. So, okay. yeah. So, so <laughs> you seem like a, a well-traveled person. Do you have any yeah. kind of like travel, more travel tips and more travel lessons. Cause I feel like we've kind of extracted <laughs> as much physics and as much business as we can out of you. Let's just go for your soul now. Let's talk about the travel stuff. Do you have any travel kind of, tips? Yeah, travel tips for people. Hmm. Uh, we got to go to India, which was an awesome experience. And while we were there, we were like, we're so far away from home. What else is around here that we'll never get to be able to travel to easily again without paying big bucks for another flight? So, um, yeah, we looked around and there were cheap flights from India to Thailand and we're like, let's go to Thailand. That sounds great. And it was like a hundred bucks round trip flight from India to Thailand. So, um, yeah. If, and it was a month long trip to India and we took a week break to go to some beaches because India is like very fast paced, not like relaxing time. It's beautiful, amazing experience, but it's not relaxing. And then we're like, let's take a break in the middle of it. Let's go to Thailand and land a beach for a while. So that was a nice getaway. 
I guess, yeah, I don't know what the tip is, but you know, if you're somewhere for a long time, see what, see what else is nearby that you're not going to be able to get to. Yeah. I was about to say the tip is what I got as the, <laughs> cause you're the teacher. I'm the student here. <laughs> The uh-huh. tip is, if you go to Asia, travel around the rest of Asia because you're already in yep. Asia. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Especially from the US. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's just so far, you know, thousands of dollars in flights. Might as well make the most of it. Oh, definitely. People do. I mean, they hop around. Well, I mean, a lot of American people would move to Asia uh, like for a short period of time, yeah. uh, like a year yeah. or two. Yeah, we actually, so we did a house sit in London and the husband was from, I want to say Myanmar. I don't remember exactly, but they would go there often. And I think they ended up moving there full time. And they contacted us after we had stopped house sitting saying, Hey, we're in Myanmar. Would you like to come watch the cats that you're already familiar with? And you could stay at our place in Myanmar, sent us pictures and off, off the, the website, you know, the, the database since they already knew us. So we could have gone to Myanmar and like stayed in their beautiful home for like a month. And we were done with that gig. We, we I think we had a travel conflict. It didn't work, but that's the kind of stuff you're just like, who knows, you're just going to end up building a relationship and being able to travel further after doing that well having global friends as well so i assume for yeah. you now when if you were wanting to travel anywhere you kind mm-hmm. of could find somebody or meet somebody that yeah. that you could you know live with or meet up with or live in their place for free so it's, mm-hmm. it's not it, i guess it's not really something that i've ever thought about but how, how does that feel though like being in a stranger's house do you ever have like a, <laughs> a creep creepy kind of suspicion like oh, what if this person's an axe murderer <laughs> no no, I never felt that. It's we always, you know, had a, a Zoom call or Skype call beforehand so we could actually see each other's faces and talk to each other. Yeah. Um, no, I it you know, we noticed a trend of like single women who are maybe like in their forties. It was kind of a funny string of house sits that we had that was all it felt like the same person every time and it was just <laughs> like in different states around the US. Yeah. But we're like, oh, this is like a house sit person. Like yeah. just a little little quirky, like mid forties, you know, into crystals, that kind of thing. <laughs> and they just had, you know, three cats and a dog and they were going on a trip. So they were into house sitting. But then yeah, the, the James Bond guy was awesome. He picked us up from the train station and um showed us around the town. He's like, you gotta try the authentic Belgian fries. We're like, okay. So I went, it looked like a fast food restaurant, but he's like, no, these are world heritage Mm. uh, property of like Belgium. Like the fries are amazing. (laughs) So yeah, that was, he showed us around and and that was great. The guy in Mexico, obviously it was a rental property. So we're confident staying there that, you know, if there was a problem, reviews would have said so. But yeah, he gave us a tour of the town in Mexico and showed us the people. He's like, if the police hassle you, talk to this guy. He knows everybody. He can get you out of any trouble. You know, this is the guy to call if this happens. So he just had connections everywhere. So always felt safe. Yeah, I about to say, it sounds better than going as a as a complete tourist because if you partner mm-hmm. up with someone who's local to the area, even if it's just yep. for that brief crossover period, because I assume it's like you maybe meet them in the morning and they're gone by the evening right. or something. You know, exactly. meet them in the evening, they go in the morning, whatever. Mm-hmm. At least you have that kind of base of like, I know the supermarkets that way without having to yep. look at your phone or you can go, right. oh, if anything goes wrong, I can just speak to this person next door because the person next door knows this guy and this guy mm-hmm. will go, hey, some people stay in my house help them out. So it takes the kind of yeah. the strain out of uh, traveling. It did. And I, I thought of another travel tip. Oh, good. good. Uh, Go ahead. On, on the India trip, we flew from the US to Delhi and had a layover in London. On the way back, the layover was 22 hours, I think. So uh, what we did was we got out of, we just left the airport and just got in a hotel and just got to hang out in London for the night. And that was really fun. So if you have a long enough layover, make a night of it and actually leave the airport and come back. And it's pretty fun. Woke up, had an English breakfast at the hotel we were at and then got back on the plane and traveled the rest of the way. What, what do you think of 
the English breakfast. <laughs> oh, I love I love English breakfast. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I don't like blood pudding. I'll say that. Nobody but, nobody does. But everything else is great. Nobody does. No one likes <laughs> yeah. that thing, man. And I always skip the tomato. I don't I Why I don't is it there? It. It's wet. Yeah. It's making everything worse. Yeah, no. You're you're yeah. you're doing what most people normally do, as in British people. The tomato's a waste of time, yeah. black pudding's a waste of time. But the, mm-hmm. the bacon, the eggs, the beans, the sausage, all of that. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're cheeky, put cheap chips on there, slash fries, whatever you guys want to call yeah. them. But that's the way yeah. forward. No, I'm, I'm a big fan of beans for breakfast. I love that. I wish we did that more here. Yeah, American <laughs> breakfasts are weird. American breakfasts are dessert for breakfast. Pancakes. Oh, yeah, pancakes, that kind of stuff. I don't like that. Yeah, I no. don't know what that's about. But when I was in America, yeah. I was all over that. I was like, yeah, man. Like, let's have some pancakes. Yeah. Let's have some cholesterol for breakfast. Why not? Yeah. The um, We flew from London to Miami one time, and it was on Air Portugal. And Air Portugal actually encourages people to extend a trip in Lisbon because the layover is in Lisbon. So they're like, hey, we bought the flight and it was like a you know three-hour layover or whatever, normal stuff. And they said, hey, you can extend your uh, trip by four days and we won't charge you anything extra to do that. And so they just encourage you to stay in Lisbon. And so we did that. We flew from London to Miami and stayed in Lisbon for like three or four days just because Air Portugal recommended it. And it was really cool. We got to experience Lisbon. You've had like such a kind of like spontaneous but also like fulfilling yeah. life so far you seem quite young you know what i mean so yeah. you've got a long life ahead of you so <laughs> yeah. in the pandemic right because i have to ask this question because it's just for someone like you do you feel like landlocked are you, are you used to have been by now traveling a lot more than this yeah that was the one thing we we would my wife and i would play uh yeah the travel game of like if we can go anywhere where would we go right now because yeah we didn't get to travel i i just flew to my sister's wedding in north carolina from california um, last week, two weeks ago, recently. And it was the first flight in over a year. So yeah, it felt good to get back in an airport and the plane, familiar feelings. But yeah, I want to do it more again. So yeah, we, um, yeah, we, we're even more so where we lived in San Diego, we were downtown, which um, when the pandemic happened, when the pandemic happened, everything shut down. Like yeah. everything that was cool about being in a city, like downtown around people, hustle and bustle. Disappeared. Dies. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, gone. Yeah. And so we felt really trapped in our little condo or little apartment and we couldn't really go out and do things. There wasn't really anything to do. And so uh, we moved from downtown to North County, San Diego, which is like beach, very pretty open space. And that felt amazing. So we, we left downtown last July and moved to North County, San Diego. Oh, pretty early yeah. Yeah. We, we picked up on it and we're like, this is not going to go well. So <laughs> we got it out of downtown and we're happy we did that. So that opened up the beach, which is beautiful here in San Diego and um, just a lot more open, easier to, to walk around. We're, we're near like a little village that has some shops and stuff. So we like it here a lot. And then moving to Atlanta, we'll see what happens. What's in Atlanta for you? I'm I'm curious. It's that uh the tech startup accelerator. So oh, um, yeah, you said they're yeah. kind of like uh maybe you've heard of Y Combinator. That's the most famous one. That's like the Harvard of yeah, tech yeah. accelerators. But they're all over we got the place. into yeah, we got into another one that uh, is kind of like the Yale. It's like one step below Y Combinator in, in prestige. But um yeah, it's it's a cool thing where every city not every city, the cities that this uh, accelerator hosts events is ten companies per city. And you apply like you're applying to college. And from what we heard, 500 people, 500 companies applied to the one in Atlanta and 10 got accepted. So we're one of the 10. So we feel very honored to do that. 
it's similar to grad school in that you don't apply so much to the school, but you apply to the advisor, the person that's actually going to be like directing you. So there's a, a managing director of the city's program. And um, my wife's the CEO of Hello Audio. So she's the one schmoozing, making connections. And she really clicked with him. And she said, this is the guy. He's like the philosopher of startups. So we really want that kind of like advice. Other cities focus on different verticals like you know, LA obviously is entertainment, a lot of stuff around entertainment, but they might also have like a city might be very um, like fintech. So they might, that might be what all the startups that apply to this city is. Ours, yeah. I don't know what the vertical is, but the guy is just, yeah, just he's all about building companies. And so that's what we want. We want the help to do exactly that. So we're excited. Yeah. So the, so the goal is kind of, you know, build Hello Audio as mm -hmm. big as it will go, keep it going. Yep. Mm -hmm. stay out the house sitting game take yeah. care of your dog and and just right. and keep that that thing moving yep that's it. it yeah we're we're taking on investors so it's you know it's not just a little tiny let's pay for our lifestyle thing but like we're gonna build it to sell it big so that's that's our goal here's how to find Derek online we talked about hello audio if you want to learn more about that our little uh, tech baby it's helloaudio.fm is the website for that and i live at derekpadilla.com my first and last name.com luckily snag that domain which will point to anything else i'm doing in the future and most social media i am like tortilla so Derek Padilla, like tortilla instagram twitter whatever thank you for listening to people explained new episodes come out every monday we would appreciate it if you gave us a review on apple podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.